It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. National security is going to be a growing focus for this show, and we're building out even more, bringing back the team, as it were, and expanding the team uh, that we did many years ago. Uh, when it comes to these issues, whether it's economic combined with political, soft power, hard power, let's look at all the instruments of national power, often referred to as the dime strategy. It's changing in how we need to see it and recognize it, and also based on advancements by those who, in part, are our enemies. So, you know, you hear the term, what's a social media term? Frenemies. The truth is that China is an enemy masquerading occasionally as a frenemy. Russia, in similar fashion. Why? Because for their sovereign interests, at times, they will act as they need to and contrary to what we would like have happen on the global stage. The news that broke was no surprise for those of us who watched as uh, China tested a hypersonic weapon, its accuracy aside for the moment, and the fact that Russia test fired just recently a submarine-launched hypersonic Sircon missile for the first time. But in addition to that, North Korea, trying to put themselves in the mix in some way, not in a hypersonic fashion, but also launching missiles into the Sea of Japan from submarines. So what does this all mean? Let's turn to John Jordan, former naval commander, national security analyst and economist as well. John, good morning, my friend. How are you? Good morning, David. A big week. Yeah, and you know, nothing, a hypersonic weapon. First of all, a hypersonic, what does it mean? Define it for the audience. Well, I've been flying airplanes, as you know, for 30 years. And anything supersonic is when it goes, it was an object or airplane that goes faster than Mach 1, which is the speed of sound. Now, the speed of sound is very dependent on altitude and temperature. The speed of sound close to the ground is a little over, is over 700 miles per hour. But the speed of sound at altitude is actually much slower. So as you get higher and high, if you get, if you get higher and the air is less dense, either due to altitude or temperature, the speed of sound Mach 1 slows down as measured per miles per hour. Now, at altitude, obviously, these airplanes, these vehicles are, you know, up, you know, up top, you know, Mach 5 or Mach 6. That is a very different speed than down low. So, so you know, they're fast, but what really makes what really makes them challenging, um, or 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 novel from a military point of view, is that they can change paths. Traditionally, when we're talking about nuclear weapons delivery, up except with the exception of cruise missiles, ballistic missiles, once they launch, you know, a satellite sees them, and it can do the math. On and predict precisely where it's going to land and when it's going and when it when it's going to impact. With hypersonic weapons, a they're harder to detect, and b they're difficult, more difficult to comp- their flight plans change because they're autonomous or semi-autonomous. So that makes it more difficult to 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 uh, to intercept them. Now, <clears throat> two parts of this story really is you know with, with what happened with China is hypersonic weapons themselves and their implications. Um, first of all, China's, I mean, the United States, our missile defense systems are, isn't really geared 
towards dealing with a wholesale assault by either China or Russia, even using conventional weapons. Our missile systems are really designed to deal with the Irans and the North Koreas or some sort of accidental launch of just a few missiles. So in this sense, this technology isn't really a game changer. Similarly, we actually have that ability ourselves. You know, we see every now and then snippets, if you're a dork like me on certain websites or even on uh, you know, Fox News does it, is the X-37. We launched this mystery space plane up there, and it stays up there for months on time, and then it lands on its own. That's essentially the same technology. And the Chinese, the Xinhua, their news agency was actually saying that's kind of the technology that they were they were it was really a space vehicle not not a, a military application but i don't think anybody really bought that but it's a it's interesting and it's going to be a challenge but is it but it doesn't have a the game changing it doesn't change the balance of power as much as i think the chinese and the russians would like to because it's i think it's a psychological weapon as much as anything else and two the other pieces is we were saying we were surprised so there's there's the possibility of a huge intelligence failure here on our part, that we didn't see that either by satellites or human intelligence, we didn't see this test coming. And even though it was done on a ballistic launch, it launched this vehicle into space before it did its little laps around the world. So we didn't know, or the U.S. intelligence community is protecting either a capability or an asset and pretending that we didn't know. Um, and intelligence services do that from time to time, will act like they got flat-footed so as to protect a source or method. And that could very well be the case here. You know, look, I, I, that last statement I not only agree with, I hope that would be the case. What concerns me is now with the politicization of intelligence services to a degree. You, you and I know there are people there that are there to do the job. And no matter, you know, politics aside, they'd like to do the job. But... You know, a response publicly at times is also a part of this. And did you see any kind of response uh, from the Biden administration or intelligence sectors that would be part of the, whether it's the information war or information level response? <clears throat> That's a really great question. And in preparing for this show, I didn't actually think of that. So that said, here's my answer. The you saw we saw no indication from the upper reaches of the Biden administration, either the White House or the State Department or the Defense Department, that there was an awareness that this was going on. So what you can deduce from that is that if even if there was an intelligence, an awareness that this was in the offing or that it could happen, it didn't get very far up the chain of command, either due to lack of interest by the Biden administration or or for whatever reason but the, if there was insight or information to this about this it didn't get there and you sure didn't see much of a response or much interest in the part of the upper reaches of our government either so let's look at another aspect of this john russia russia testing the zircon uh, submarine based Russia now also defending China's right to test hypersonic weapons. That doesn't surprise me at all. Russia and China act where their interests align or an interest against America at times aligns in their messaging, right? They're masters at the psychological operations. Uh, and it's not just about America. It's about other nations, others around the world, uh, the muscle flexing that goes on. So the Kremlin coming out, and responding to this, uh, does it go beyond what we expect? 
Well, no, I think you you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, Russo-Chinese relationships relations are complicated. I you know this. I'm a Russian speaker and have been pretty much my entire life. The Russians the Russians want to tweak the U.S. The Russians are not in the same league as the Chinese technologically or militarily. The Russians want to appear stronger than they are. The Russian defense budget is 8% of ours. We left – the Russian defense budget is smaller than the amount dollar value of the equipment we left in Afghanistan. And so it's a little perspective on this. But the Russians and the Chinese right now appear to be allies, but their only common interest is tweaking the United States. I mean, Russia has to be concerned big picture in that the People's Liberation Army, uh, the largest standing army in the world, just south of the Amur River, could at any minute come rolling up through Siberia and, uh, and seize oil fields, uh, living space, and uh, all the natural resources of Siberia with uh, very little response, very little capability on the Russian part to, to turn them. And, you know, obviously Genghis Khan went all the way to the Baltic. So that has to be figured into part of their relationship, but at least possibility. But the, the, what the Russians wanted to do was pile on this with their launch of the Sirkon. Um, again, in the case of the Russians, nobody actually ever saw them really do it. Not, very little is known. The Russians conceal a lot of this. And the Russians have had some high-profile disasters with submarine-launched advanced weaponry. And we all remember the Kursk way back then when that torpedo detonated in the forward torpedo room and sunk the Kursk in a few hundred feet of water. And the Russians wanted to cover that up so badly, didn't want Western involvement. <laughs> so even though Norwegian, no, there was Norwegian and U.S. ships that could have rescued the crew, the Russians didn't allow anybody to do that until it was too late. So everybody's trying to pile on here, but you're right. This is psychological warfare. This is wanting to shape Western perceptions of Chinese and Russian power to affect our decision-making, uh, our political decision-making. Gives them a little that what they're seeking to do is adjust our calculus so they have a little more room to be aggressive than the South China Sea or the Ukraine. And that's really what this is. It's a longer-term gray warfare strategy. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking about this as you say, as, as you speak, John, the dime strategy, which you and I have talked about, right? The, the diplomatic information, military, economic components, right? Yeah. Those instruments of national power. on a spectrum. Yeah, I mean, Americans tend to think in binary terms. Either you're our friend or you're our enemy. That's why the term frenemy got such traction, because it seems so antithetical to how we think of things. We think of things in war and peace, friend and enemy. The world does not work like that in the 21st century. Conflict exists in several dimensions, or it's easier to think about it as existing on a spectrum, with all-out warfare, kinetic warfare on one end, and full-blown peace and harmony, like, on, on the other end, to varying degrees, especially with countries like China and Russia and Iran, you are in the middle, whether it's, you know, cyber warfare, information war, economic warfare, um, es espionage, um, you know, you're, you're somewhere, so-called use of term that's so popular today, you're on the spectrum. And that's where we are with China right now. And America needs to wake up because they're engaging in a whole of society effort to get our technology. I mean, there was a lot of reports yesterday that showed that a lot of the technology from this Chinese hypersonic weapon came from us. The number of students they have in this country, um, <clears throat> the number of, 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 of so partnerships, you know, we are awash in Chinese, we are awash in Chinese money in this country at the academic level, at the industrial level. 
And this is part of how they do it. A lot of their Chinese technology isn't homegrown. It's imported. Yeah, and they make it easy, or we make it easy on them. We don't use a number of elements at our disposal that have been there, the CFIUS process on foreign investment. We don't, we have let them have the thousand talents program. They have access to the labs. They don't even have to steal as much as they have to just pick up literally in a couple of cases that were, were prosecuted out of the garbage can, literally pick them yeah. out of the garbage can in the lab. I mean, uh, so we yeah, let, we've them, let them in. Yeah, a lot of what we're doing, they, they do is, According to U.S. law, legal. I mean, not. I mean, a lot of it isn't, but more more than you would think is legal. Underlying all of this, and in every every one of these diplomatic, informational, uh, military, and economic, cyber, John, and cyber can be used in many ways. Uh, how would you how would you kind of see our cyber? response right now we had the head of the cyber division leave uh that we talked about i think last time or in one of our previous conversations but where we are now and do we have the will to use it i think we do have the will to use it there's been a lot of instances where um certain things have gone wrong in russia um uh, you know that that would, would indicate that maybe we had something to do with it um, this, traditionally, the U.S., what we've always done is we've always concealed our capabilities. We hide our really cool capabilities, weapon systems. I mean, the stealth fighter, for example, that was in service for years before it became famous over the Gulf War. That was in service for years and it was kept under wraps in California and Nevada. The B-2 bomber was kept a secret for a long time. We tend to hide a lot of our capabilities where the Chinese and Russians seek to advertise them to use them to affect um, the world's thinking. They see political warfare uh, differently in that sense. We, so I, I think our capabilities are probably hopefully more robust than, than we saw last week. But the, the way to think about cyber warfare does a couple of things, right? It is an intelligence gathering tool hacking into things. It is an ability to shape public discourse. You know, when you have, you know, with social media and bots and, all of that, there's a, there's a dimension there. And then there's a malicious side of it, which is purely offensive, and that is to shut down, you know, pipelines or electrical grids or things of that nature where you're actually disabling something. Um, we have to, in a lot of our cyber, you know, a lot of our vulnerabilities, unlike in China, aren't government-owned. They're in the private sector. So we have probably some companies in some places are a lot better than others. But we as a society need to recognize that this is, as we become increasingly dependent on technology, this is a real vulnerability and have the willpower to deal with it, not just as a government, but as a society. You know, it's that one of the things you just said, dependence on technology triggered a thought in my head, John. So a little bit of cyber history here. You and I know it and uh Actually, Michael Reagan's told the story in more detail, but President Reagan, uh, during his administration, actually carried out, I think, what would be our first known, and now known, cyber attack against the Soviet Union when they were stealing chips from the United States to run their systems. Uh, We gave them uh, chips with a Trojan horse written in, right? I think it would run about... You know, whatever, yeah, millions of cycles. Right, yeah, so they would do that. We're importing 
key components from China. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself as you say this, if Reagan could do it to the Soviet Union and they would have an explosion in Siberia that would impact their pipeline that delivers natural gas, if I'm China, why wouldn't I think in those terms? I'm sure I'm sure they have. Uh, I, I think that we're also a little more capable than the Russians were in the 80s uh, when they fell for that gag. Um, you know, not being you know world class expert in this, it's not you know it, it's difficult for me to completely, to fully and honestly and reliably assess that risk. But I, but that risk is there, and it is taken into account. I would imagine both in the corporate level, the private sector, and to some degree in cooperation with the government. But this brings home brings up a bigger point. That I think that you are this is where you are going with this, and I may be wrong, but is we need to be more self reliant in a lot of these things and not put ourselves in these positions where you're going to have to have these conversations. You know, clearly I think we have an administration now that for whatever reason is completely at best, at best indifferent to the national security of the United States. It is more intent on reshaping American society from the inside out than it is in actually protecting American lives. And when you start talking protecting American lives, there's a lot of work to be done here. There is legislation that needs to be written and passed in terms of encouraging uh, industrial production of certain, you know, whether it's pharmaceuticals or computer chips, certain key supplies that need to come, come in the United States. We need to develop our own sources of raw, rare, rare earth minerals, which we could do. And lastly, as people, every time you go to the gas station, energy independent. Um, we're increasingly dependent, again, on foreign oil. Biden had to go beg OPEC to up production again um, a few weeks ago. So there is, but there is, that, that, that in, the industrial dimension of national security needs to be addressed in a, in a very robust way, and it isn't right now. Absolutely, my friend, and no, you're not wrong, just for the record. John Jordan, my friend, thank you as always. You can join me live on the David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east on Sirius XM Patriot 125.